Hello and welcome. So welcome to this very unique and special edition of the Investor Lab. So we wanted to open this up in a slightly different way. So obviously the it's we're in the middle of a very unique point in time and a very unique environment. So we had actually some other um, podcast episodes planned for this week, but we feel it's really important to address where people are at and what's going on and, and kind of bring a voice of calm and, and I guess display a little bit of leadership in an environment which is ultimately very tumultuous, very emotional, very stressful for a lot of people involved, for everyone involved really. So Today's topic is how to react and respond to a changing world. And the format of today's episode and, and for this event is that we are hosting this as a live webinar forum. So some people are going to be listening to this in the future as a podcast episode. Some people are going to be interacting with this inside our Facebook community. And some people are going to be interacting with this live inside our Zoom webinar platform. So we've opened this up to a lot of different people from a lot of different areas, sent out broadcast emails and made this quite public in the hope that we could engage a, a different type of conversation. Now, if you think that this is going to be a classic property investor spruikathon where the world's an amazing place and now's the time to buy, 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 buy and all of that kind of stuff. Well, I, I think you might be a little mistaken. What Gabby and I do specifically as a business is we do help people to invest in real estate. And so we do have a unique perspective on that. And part of our role is to help guide people and to be advisors in these kind of environments and also to help share the pros, cons, risks and rewards that are available in this kind of environment too to help people to become a more empowered investor. It's not in our best interests for anyone that we know or anyone that we care about or anyone that's in our custodianship to be at risk. So there's no value in us trying to spruik a false hope scenario. So we really wanted to just approach this in a really different way and try and have a really broad, open, honest and raw discussion. Let's get this show on the road. Yeah, I just wanted to start by saying we don't have all the answers. No one has all the answers. No one can really, truly know what's even happening today, let alone what's going to happen next week. I mean, we're like personally, we're meant to go and visit family next weekend and all my family are like, oh, are you going to come? Are you going to cancel? You don't really know because the, the world could be completely different tomorrow. We can't sit here and tell you this is exactly how it's going to be. All we can do is come from a place of love and care and expertise and real passion about trying to disseminate this for people in a way that's actually going to help you in how you're feeling today. This isn't designed for Goose and I to, to talk at you. It's about having a community platform. Yeah, if you've, if you've got anything that you want to talk about that you don't feel like you've had a platform to be uh, talking about, Jump on now. Really, the message for us is that we want to share a message of, of pragmatism and hope. But let's get a few things out in the open straight off the bat. Right now, there's a lot of confusion out there. Everyone is confused. Emotions are elevated. People are overwhelmed. I personally pride myself on being a staunch pragmatist. And even I am getting caught up in the emotions that are circulating in our environment. You know, people are worried and people are scared. And in a lot of cases, fear has taken hold. And it's times like these that I think we really need to focus on, you know, resilience and health and all of these kind of things to make, make sure we're maintaining a really positive standard in our lives. You know, the thing that's going to help people most is to maintain a sense of connection to, and to maintain their well-being. The biggest threat that people face right now is not... Uh, health threat. Although I'm not downplaying the fact that that's a thing that's going on, the biggest threat that people face right now is economic. And the antidote to economic distress is perspective, resilience, and community. I think. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Connection. It's, it's funny. I'm an introvert. This is an extrovert, and it's like this is my standard life. Oh no, I have to stay home and and not interact with people. But 
you know, it, it's true. There's so there's so much community online, and there's so many people to connect with and have these conversations about, and not not just see what you read on the news and digest that and completely on your own process that without really reaching out to other people because it pretty much everyone in the Western world is having these similar kind of thoughts. Out of the two of us, I spend about 50 to 75% of my day on the phone talking to people all over Australia from different walks of life, investors, business owners, contractors, all kinds. And so I get the full spectrum and the full gamut. The thing that is going to cause the greatest disturbance to us as a community is the lack of community. It's the lack of connection. This isn't some staged conversation about like, everything's great, but let's be realistic here. I woke up on Monday and I had a sore throat and I thought, okay, well, all right, I better do the right thing and I'm going to stay inside. Turns out I'm fine, by the way. For anyone that's interested, it's because I was recording an audio book the day before and I just got a sore throat from talking too much, believe it or not. But that aside, stayed inside for about two days. And when I finally left the house, it made me think, what the hell is going on out here? Because everything was fine. Life was going on. I saw one person wearing a mask. That was it. Uh, Cafes were open. People were out and about. Sun was shining. The world was not ending. I think that that's a really important thing to remember. Like everyone's getting caught up, I think, a lot in social media hype, mainstream commercial media hype and all of that kind of stuff. And losing sight of the fact that life actually hasn't changed. It's only changed in our minds. It's important to remember that people are still free to move around. You know, social distancing, yes, that's a thing. And again, I'm not discounting any kind of potential health risks or or health measures that we should take and concerns and considerations. However, this is the same kind of hysteria that that we have all read about with the whole reds under the bed and communist syndrome back when our grandparents were still around for a lot of people, maybe still are. This virus is not jumping out to get you. You're not going to catch it just because you're around. It's not like that right now. And it's important to remember that these kind of events have come and gone historically. And like all major events, this too shall pass. We've all been through situations in life. We've all been through situations that have challenged us, that have caused unforeseen upset, correction and reset that we have not expected in any way. And you're still here. The GFC, everyone said, oh my God, this is going to be the end. It's the end of capitalism. It's the end of the Western world. Look, the Lehman Brothers have collapsed. It's all over. And guess what? We have achieved greater levels of prosperity, greater levels of success, greater levels of human advancement, greater levels of global health, greater levels of global education, greater levels of standards of living worldwide than we have ever since that time. The world is an abundant place and it continues to get more abundant. And I think at times like these, people can forget that and they lean backwards into a pit of fear. And I think that this can be the most dangerous thing in a time like this. I'm pretty sure as well that this is the first kind of global pandemic that's happened during this real heavy social media lifestyle. The last was like SARS in 2002 or something, but social media was nowhere near as prevalent as it is now. Like that has to have something to do with the other pandemic of the fear that's coming with everything that's happening is we spend so much time on social media. We spend so much time consuming the news and what other people think and what other opinions are and you know this person says this is happening this person says this is what's happening and we're all doomed or we're all really great and it's really hard to shut that out sometimes particularly because it's just it's in your face all the time and because it's a health thing and we're all wired to you know protect each other we're all wired to care about collective society and collective health and collective well-being and collective wealth and fortune and i think you were speaking with someone today about biologically and psychologically we're trained and raised as humans to look out for the herd and i think that's what's happening like for me although for both of us we're like goose is much more pragmatic than i am but i'm still fairly pragmatic 
So economically, I can see that we're in a point where the way the markets move is they go down and then up and then down and then up. And I can see logically and pragmatically that this is what's happening, but there's still that underlying emotion of just tension and concern and empathy for what's happening in the world. And I think that is going to cause some people some trouble if that's what they listen to to make their financial decisions right now. Totally. 100% agree. I'm just looking at a couple of comments. A couple of the points that Casper has raised is that firstly, this is a health issue and not an economic issue. My perspective on that is um, it's both. You know, there is a health issue that is stimulating an economic issue. And if you actually look at the, if you look at the deeper impact that's going on right now, if you look at the real precipice that is going to drive the biggest rift and the biggest cleft in our uh, potential future right now, it's actually economic, not health. If you look at the communities that have already had longer exposure to uh, the virus and all that kind of stuff, there's good rates of recovery. There's good news stories out there. I'm not saying it's not a health issue, but I'm saying that there's good news stories out there as well. But leaning in then to your um, commentary around community and health, and I think that that is actually the biggest message here right now. So that's actually kind of where I really want to take this conversation. Yes, we'll talk about property. Everyone wants to talk about property with us because that's what we do and that's what we're known for. But I want to focus first and foremost on a few other things that are, I think are fundamentally more important at this time that are going to allow you to find greater success. Success does not always just mean money, but greater success in your life, greater freedom, choice, and abundance, which is what we always go on about. So firstly, it's about maintaining your physical health. So we're talking about eating well, exercise, we're touching that kind of tips in a few sets. Also, it's about maintaining your mental health. Right now is a time to really galvanize the strength of your mind. You know, it's time to put up the guardrails and keep the fear out because it's when the fear takes hold, that's when people make irrational decisions and start to react emotionally, not pragmatically. And I think right now, more than ever, it's important to stay focused on your vision and your values. I wanted to share a few tips that might be able to help you in these times. So first and foremost, maintain regular exercise. If you don't have a regular exercise practice right now, it's probably a good time to start. So more, it's more important than ever to maintain a good physical health routine because what's going to keep you focused and resilient in this time is your physical and mental health. You know, you've got to keep your immune system uh, in good working order. You've got to keep your lymphatic system in good working order. Social distancing does not mean isolation. You can still go outside and you can still connect with people. Isolation doesn't mean you have to be away from other people. You can still connect on platforms like this. You know, we're in a more connected society than ever before anyway. Get plenty of sun and get plenty of fresh air and swim if you can. You know, this is, I'm going to go a little bit woo-woo, but I, don't, I really don't mind. You know, managing your frequency, managing your energy in times like this is the most important thing. The times that you feel as though you're getting stressed and overwhelmed and you can't work out why and it almost feels like the collective conscious, that is the frequency rising. And what you need to do is you need to be in control of your own frequency. And a great way to reset frequency is to immerse yourself in water. So if you don't have the capacity to swim somewhere, then take a shower, a cold shower, because what that'll do will recenter your energy. Get grounded. And again, I don't want to sound like a hippie, but doing things like standing barefoot on the grass, that is scientifically proven to center your parasympathetic nervous system. You know, that's what's going to calm your internal monologue and give you clarity and, and uh, a lot more centered feeling. Read books, help elevate your perspective. Spend less time on social media and less time watching the news. Give yourself an information diet because you don't need to be bombarded with negativity all of the time. You also need to focus on eating healthy, eat whole foods, which support your immune system, all of that kind of stuff. But the biggest impacts that are being felt right now are not people's health just yet. That's preventative, but it is your community. You know, there's a lot of people out there who are struggling because maybe they don't have access to the resources that they should have, whether that be because of people are panic buying or maybe they are contractors and small business owners that are being forced to shut down. I've heard dozens of stories in the last week of people in the arts and entertainment industry, contractors, people in the health and fitness industry, 
catering companies, all of these people that are suddenly out of work, catering companies that have had nine and 15 employees that are now literally liquidating. The biggest impacts that are going to be found are going to be by supporting people. Like, and, and you've got to remember, this goes back to what I was saying at the start. The virus is not everywhere. You're not going to catch it by just going outside. So reach out and make sure you're supporting the people in your local community and keeping that impact alive. I think it's quite easy for us to talk about, you know, looking after yourself and maintaining good health and wellness, but it is that community piece. You think about if we're here capable of having this conversation through the internet, through Zoom or Facebook or something, we're lucky enough to be aware of what's happening and we're actually, you know, getting pretty quick news and updates and we can google things and we can figure out how to do everything from our homes there are so many people in the community that don't have that same opportunity think of all the the elderly people that may not have facebook they don't know how to google things they don't know they don't always hear the same news as quick as we do people need skills that you have as a fortunate person in a very wealthy country yeah you have skills that other people need right now and i think an opportunity an opportunity, yeah. And I think there's an element of that where there is an opportunity for us to give back in that way for people who don't have those skills that they could really use right now. 100%. So now, now we're talking about community. We wanted to actually uh, oh, in- yeah, introduce a panellist for today's show. Hi, <laughs> Casper. Hello, guys. Hello. Hey, Casper. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. I, I actually took myself out for a 5K run after work after feeling pretty anxious about the whole situation. So very much relating to the advice around mental health. I think it's critical. My gym's shut, yeah. as I'm sure many people's gyms are at this point. So, yeah, feeling good now. It's a really interesting thing, isn't it? Because I actually found my uh, – I found myself – actually, I did two days of no real exercise, which is a little bit unusual for me. And, yeah, I really was feeling the effect mentally as much as anything else. Tell us and tell everybody else that's listening – how are you going? How are you being affected? What are the biggest issues that you face? Um, and what do, what do you see? I'm actually very fortunate in that I have a relatively secure job that probably won't be, if, well, it will. it is affected, but my I work for a small business. We have quite a large cash buffer. So I'm in good stead. I'm a salaried worker. So I'm not as susceptible as business owners are at this point or casual workers are, but I'm concerned more so for my community, for my family and friends. I've got housemates who are losing shifts and I've got yeah. people I know losing, I know people that have already been sacked and obviously not because people want to be sacking them, but just because that's the reality, particularly in hospitality and casual work. This whole situation presents an interesting moral scenario for all of us. You know, uh, the, I think we have this idea of ourselves as good people. You know, we're, we're good people and, you know, we'll do good things and, and we'll be good. But that's kind of a hypothetical identity in some respects in normal day-to-day life. Uh, and I think we are now confronted with a situation where, there's really no more ambiguity about it. It's now a question of deed. And I intend on in taking this as, a, as an opportunity to, to be there for my community, not just the people I know, but even things like reaching out to my neighbours on my street. I'm going to be doing a letter drop this week, um, as a lot of people have been. I'm sure some of you have probably seen it. Mm. On Facebook, people posting about they've been dropping notes and things. I mean, you don't know who's in self-isolation because they've just come back from overseas and some people don't have the same networks around them. So offering to pick up supplies, drop things in, even just be there. If somebody wants, you know, a phone call, like I've got to give out my number just to my street, just my immediate neighbours. So, and kind of start incrementally from there. I've been putting some money into organizations that help musicians and artists um, because I would normally be going out to see gigs and they've been cancelled. I've had loads of uh, events that I was going to be part of that are now being cancelled, not just as an audience member, but as a performer as well. So yeah, I'm kind of looking at this as really kind of a call to action. And I think that is empowering. I think that gives as an individual when all of this stuff is happening and it's kind of outside of our control and it can feel like it's just a wave that's hitting us. I think that helps to give you a sense of, okay, well, you know, the world has kind of got a plan for you, but then you can also have a plan for the world. And it's that frontier that we 
live on and you've got to kind of push back and take back a bit of agency. So yeah, I find that empowering and I think, I, I think everyone finds it uplifting as well and never waste a good crisis. So I think you've hit some very uh, interesting uh, points there as well. I mean, we are similar in a lot of ways, you and I, and we're very different in a lot of ways as well. You know, like I'm a business owner in the wealth space. The way that I am seeking to provide service, leadership, clarity and guidance is very different. But I think that there's also uh, a responsibility for all of us to look at our community as a whole. And I think if I think that there is one thing that has like, really been a massive upshot of all of this is that people are taking greater stock of what is important. As business owners, not just us, but every business owner I know has gone, okay, what is actually really important in my business right now? And then that you apply that same vector to your life. So you could be a salaried employee or anything. You go, okay, what is actually really important in my life right now? And when it all boils down to it, it's actually really, really, really interesting the things that we want to keep. We want to keep connection. We want to keep community. We basically want to keep our health. Like really that's what it comes down to. We want ourselves to be well and we want the people we know to be well and we want the people that we don't know but we know that we're around to be well too. And I think that that's a really important thing because it doesn't really matter who you are or where you're from, you're probably going to want the same thing. Yeah, I think I think the part about connection is huge. You know, this impact of, of not being able to see people. I mean, even just, you know, I'm thinking, you know, I don't live with my parents as most of us, you know, as adults don't. So, you know, when I see them for the next six months, do I hug them? I mean, I know the government's saying, yeah, it's your family, you can hug your family. And they're saying, but that's because you're always around them. So I think they're talking about the immediate family. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying people shouldn't hug their parents if they want to, but connection is, is, you know, it's on so many layers. It's not just, you know, are you going out and being in a public social space? It's also things like physical touch, and people, you know, don't, or they're not always where I heard something recently. It's like you touch your face casually like seven times. Sorry, I think you touch someone incidentally like seven times a day without realizing it. On this call, I've been like, like this. So. I know. And I'm, you know, so this, this stuff, it can really affect you in ways you don't expect. It's obvious when you're, okay, my gym shut, so I'm not going to be able to go do a workout. And I know that's going to impact me mentally or I'm staying at home more because I work from home normally, but like for those that don't, they're probably feeling quite claustrophobic and caged up right now. That's obvious stuff. But, you know, I think people are going to recognize after a while the impact of physical touch and the lack of physical touch in their sense of connection to others. I agree wholeheartedly. I agree wholeheartedly. It's not all bad news out there either. You know, I think that it's really important to focus on the fact that things are actually improving in a global sense even in terms of the health epidemic or pandemic and, and all of that kind of stuff. If you look at China, they closed down their last purpose-built coronavirus hospital because there's not enough cases. Um, doctors in India are successfully treating coronavirus through a combination of different drugs. South Korea has got declines in cases. Um, there's only been, believe it or not, funnily enough, there's only been about 60 cases reported in uh, Russia and very few cases reported in, uh, in Africa. So it's actually, it's not all that bad. And I think that it's a really awesome reset button for a values proposition for a lot of people. But I think it's important for us to not get caught in a psychological end of days kind of scenario where, where we're all going to go back to, I guess, a, an agrarian type civilization where we're going to become village, villages again. Life is going to go on. You know, life is going to move on. And I think that if I have one overarching message with all of this, and, you know, re relevant, I guess, to the, to the conversation around what we do, it's, it's that we need to keep moving forward. You know, we need to take stock, we need to support each other, we need to extend kindness, care and consideration and community as much and as deeply as we can, but we need to stay focused on where we want to go and where we want to end up. And those two things shouldn't be polarised. Those two things shouldn't be dichotomous. Where you want to go should be no different from what your values are anyway. So it shouldn't be like, oh... Can I still be a property investor if I also want to help my neighbours? Well, yeah, of course. Like those two things shouldn't be polarised in any way. I think it's an opportunity for us to just really get down to the, the real raw truth about what we're doing and why we're doing it, for who and how and why. 
Yeah, and I'll, I'm going to step back and let somebody else join the conversation, but I just wanted to echo that and say, uh, yeah, absolutely. Like, we've got to keep moving forward and keep working. And, you know, I mean, the thing that's going to get us through all this is that, and I'm absolutely looking at that as well. So, yeah, credit to you guys. Thanks, Thanks for participating Dad. in the conversation, man. I really appreciate it. We've got another panellist who wants to join. Uwe? Yeah, hi, everybody. Hey, mate, how Hello. are you today? I am going great guns. Thanks very much. And first of all, let me recommend you on some level-headedness in this situation. <laughs> Sorry, I'm getting a bit emotional. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, thank you. Thank you very much. And it's okay to be emotional at times like this. It is an emotional time. Like, let's not beat around the bush. And, you know, I, I just want to say I really appreciate the connection and I really appreciate the support that you show myself and Gabby and, you know, it's great to see you out there spreading a message of positivity as well. Because for people who may not know who you are, like we do, you are also um, a professional investor. And so I would really be interested in, in understanding your perspective on the current market and the challenges that you see people facing and, and how we can band together as a community to overcome that and help people to continue to grow and prosper and build wealth in this kind of environment. So my 30 seconds wrap up. I've done quite a bit of work on this because it's a personal interest. And I was on a business trip in Townsville uh, where I was going to be until Sunday. And I cut that short on Monday afternoon. It is fair to say that I did not appreciate the severity of the situation until about uh, Monday afternoon. I sought counsel with good friends in Europe who, in my view, are about three to four weeks ahead of our curve. So, to make that short and sweet, I'm of German background, so I have no BS. That stands for belief system. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, yeah, and, and that's, that's an important point. Let's, let's keep it lighthearted. The world is not going to end, right? So, let's all settle down. Let's go back to basics. And um, yes, this is an issue. And yes, this issue will pass. Looking at the stats, and, and a friend of mine is a statistician and a mathematician. He's run some models. And I'm just going to put it out there for what it's worth. Forty to 50% of the population of Australia will get infected, just as everywhere else in the world. Now, that doesn't mean that 40 to 50% will die. No way. We can see the uh, stats uh, in the uh, up to 10 to 12-year-old. There is virtually no infections there at all. Sorry, there, there are infections, but no uh, severe signs. The kids put this stuff away like it's a, a sniffer. The, the real at-risk group in our population is the elderly. Now, I've got an 84-year-old mum, and I'm worried about her. So that was one of the reasons why I came back. Now, the fact of the matter is also that the biggest impact, and I, I would like to commend you on level-headedness discussion, uh, the fact of the matter is also that the biggest impact will be the economic impact. And yes, I agree with what you're saying, Goose. This is as much uh, an issue of health as well as of economic impact. Now, in my view, and according to the research that I've done, the health issues will be overcome in about 45 days. That seems to be the bell curve that is happening. The biggest issue is if we can keep the bell curve low, i.e. the number of infections low, our hospital system will be able to cope. And, and that's the biggest issue. If we have a big run on the hospital system like Italy has, so God help us. Sorry, sorry to interject. There's a discussion there to be had, though, around why Italy has had such a, uh, a large and significant impact as well. And a lot of the discussion around that is because it's got the oldest population per capita in, in Europe. So I agree that we don't want that kind of environment, but I would also suggest that we have a completely different socio-demographic structure here in Australia as well. But I think you're right, but yeah. Okay. The world is not going to stop. It's not going to fall down. 
everybody have your family and be close to your family. And in a weird sense, in my view, this will be a reset button. It will force us all collectively to focus on what is the basic human needs. It will focus us on what we're all about. What that means is that life will go on. And uh, what that means is that if we follow the basic principles, and if we talk about that, I'd rather be in safe as houses as an asset class than in the share market. We yeah. have seen what happened in the share market. I was going to say, I think it's a really interesting point and one that is both relevant to this conversation about human <laughs> psychology, but also very relevant to uh, the discussion around property. When, when you say we're going to reduce, it really brings us back to the basic human needs. And if we look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, basic human needs is, is food, water, and shelter. Shelter is, is the third one. Yeah, so food, water, and shelter, which is, again, why we're seeing right now, and I think we'll move into this topic in a moment, and I'd, I'd welcome some of your input on that too. But it's interesting to see that that is the driver behind where we're seeing property price growth and stimulation in the property market, even in this environment. Absolutely. and. Suffice to say, as an asset class, if we sit back, I'd rather be in the third of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which is shelter. I cannot influence what BHP is doing on the board level or whether a flight center is releasing 100 offices and closing 100 offices and that sort of thing. One thing is for sure, the tenants that I've got will still be tenants. And yes, the flags are going up already. We received uh, an email from our rental managers today advancing notice that some tenants may have issues with the rental payments. Now, the way that my wife and I will handle that is we will be considerate what was going on. That is everybody to their own. I will serve notices as per the legislation and with the notice will go a statement that we will not enforce the notices. So what I want to do is I want to set myself up for the worst case scenario. If somebody marks up, we will terminate. If somebody has a genuine hardship case, we will play ball with that and we will consider that. That's just the way that my wife and I want to play it. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really interesting question and a really interesting and, and, and albeit very sensitive topic. And I think that, that one that is one that plays into the ongoing discussion around community and support, particularly people who may be disadvantaged in this period of time. Now, as property investors ourselves, and obviously as somebody who deals with property investors daily and, and yourself as a professional property investor as well, the fundamental basis of a successful uh, investment portfolio is that you have people renting those property. You have tenants, you have people paying for the, you know, the capacity of that property to generate long-term revenue. So I think it's a very interesting discussion to have around what happens if people can't pay their rent. You know, what happens if we do have large-scale unemployment? Whose responsibility is it to support those people? How far can you extend it? What is your capacity to extend charity and community support to those people and whose responsibility should it be? You know, this is, and this is a really interesting topic. Now, if, if I'm hearing you correctly, what your position is, is if someone unreasonably uh, basically breaks the terms of the lease and it has nothing to do with the economic situation, i.e. normal termination kind of clause, you'll terminate. But if someone has financial hardship you'll give a rental extension is that correct exactly right yeah and i think that's a really interesting point to raise because you know we've had those con those considerations ourselves what if our tenants can't pay are we going to kick them out well i i don't think that we could do that in good faith we would have to in all good faith and moral positioning question and ask ourselves how long could we support that for you have to be realistic within your own economic circumstances, but also I think that now more than ever, we need to show compassion. To Absolutely others. right. And, and that's why I was suggesting our part will be to give notices. If somebody wants to rot the system, uh, have the 
legal basis covered mm. and we will at the same time advise that we will not enforce those notices providing that everybody does the best that they can under the circumstances yeah absolutely and it's going to be difficult right because we're dealing with people so how do we how do we ever know the depth and severity of someone's genuine claim but i think where we have to rest i think i think it's every single human being's responsibility to be a leader to be a leader in their own way, in their own capacity, and in their own vector of community. And I think it's up to us to be leaders in that. Absolutely, and this is why I love Australia. Look, I, I think um, that's the right thing to do, and uh, the people that will um, unfortunately fall into hardship and that, that will do the right thing will be 10 times over your long-term talent. The, the more, more that you can build relationships with people and the more that you can remember that everyone is a human being, the more that you're going to be able to build relationships with people. And at the end of the day, you can look at it from a human need and you can also look at it from an economic perspective as well. If you build a relationship and extend someone genuine care, consideration and all of that kind of stuff at a time of need and they, they may become a tenant in your property who respects and loves you and treats your asset with respect and may stay there for 10 years because they feel home and they feel loved and they feel safe. Doesn't that make a much better economic decision as well as a better moral decision? I think so. Three times, hallelujah to that. I was just thinking it's a good opportunity now, I think, with, with that frame about tenants in mind to just reframe how people might think about setting themselves up from a wealth perspective yeah. in terms of savings and, and having an asset base so that if something like this happens again, you don't have to panic. You can think about the, the well-being of your tenants and put that first because you don't have the high-risk situation of having no assets or having no savings or anything. So I think it's a good opportunity to think about that when you're moving forward particularly for people if, if you've struggled to kind of like put yourself first or think about building wealth for the sake of your own wealth, if you can think about it in a way that I'm going to do this so that when other people are, you know, in need, I can, I can be that support for others when they need it. Totally. Uwe, thanks. Love you. what you're saying, Gabby. Um, it's absolutely correct. We can help more people if we have the capacity to yeah. do so. Uh, Uwe, we're going to wrap it up. I want to answer a couple of questions and then I want to roll on from here. But I really appreciate your input. And thanks for participating. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. So we have had a couple of questions here and I just want to kind of field some of these um, before we accelerate on. Guys, just so we're clear from here, where we're probably going to steer the discussion is a little bit more into an economic frame around recession, things that are driving property and all of that kind of stuff. I just want to hit on a couple of questions that we've had. So there's a question from Cheyenne in the um, Zoom platform, one of our panelists. She said, if you have no tenant and need to decide on a new one, what steps would you consider a priority? Well, to that, I would probably say that in this environment, I wouldn't consider the characteristics of what I would accept or seek in a uh, tenant to be any different. You want someone who's reliable of character, reliable of income, and going to be a reliable partner in your wealth journey because that's why you need to think about it you know you need to think okay is this person going to support my needs whilst i support theirs and is this going to be a mutually beneficial relationship because the way you need to think about your relationship with your tenants and your properties is you're a business owner you know you are operating a business you're in, and the service that you are providing is a service of accommodation to people who want to utilize that service from you so you need to make sure that your your services of good value and that the proposition is functional in both ways. Just like you wouldn't want to have a bad client in a business, you don't want to have a bad tenant. So I'd look for the same thing. Now, in today's environment, we have basically a rental crisis nationwide. So I am yet to really see a market in the country where you're struggling to find tenants at the moment. You know, if we consider that, you know, a tight vacancy rate is normally considered one and a half to two and a half percent, Typically, we're seeing vacancy rates around the, in less than 0.5%. So I would say that you still have the opportunity of choice, even in this kind of marketplace. So I wouldn't consider that to be a 
a huge issue. But just remember, you've got to make sure it's the right value proposition. I think there's a couple of other really cool comments and stuff that we've seen in the group as well. Emma says that she's a millennial. She's a heavy consumer. And, you know, yes, the world won't end, but it will surely have an impact on the way we live. And I think that that is 100% correct. And I think that what we have had is the longest bull run in history, in economic history. And for those of you who don't understand what that means, we've had the greatest and longest and steepest period of economic prosperity that we have had since the inception of the Industrial Revolution. What that has meant is that we have all grown fat on the pastures of economic prosperity, which is great because that's driven a lot of advancements in uh, human condition and human opportunity. And we live in a way better world than we did 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 50, 100 years ago. And you just need to look at you know global health and education statistics as a benchmark and look at the fact that we're traveling into space and all that kind of stuff. So do not consider that a bad thing for a moment. Resets like this give us the opportunity to reassess what sits higher in our values proposition. You know, is it more important for us to have what we need or what we want? And I think that when we refer back then to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, there is the basic fundamental driver, which is food, water, warmth, rest, then safety and security. So if you look at those two basic, the biggest component to Maslow's hierarchy needs really fundamentally comes back to making sure that we're okay, making sure that we've got a roof over our heads and making sure that we are going to have safety and security, not just physical and not just mental, but also future fundamental financial and wealth security, which is where this all kind of comes in. I would like to steer this conversation towards um, property and economics. But one question that I keep getting asked or a couple of questions that I keep getting asked on a daily basis are, is Australia going to go into a recession? What happens to property in a recession? What are the best strategies for investing during this kind of time? Is it the right time to buy a property? Is it the wrong time to buy a property? All of that kind of stuff. I just want to be super, super clear. This is not coming from some kind of spruker perspective of like, buy property now it's got to suit you i just merely want to be transparent pragmatic and realistic and try and be a beacon in the noise that is out there because there's a lot that i think is getting uh, misrepresented I, I i i see a lot of real estate professionals who are scared and panicking i don't think that's really helping so let's talk about is australia going to go into a recession yes I would say so. Yeah, if we haven't already started, like entered a, the start of a recession, I think it's coming in the coming months. The reality is that we're probably already in a recession and we don't know how long it'll last. But the question is, does it matter? A recession is indicated by two or more consecutive quarters or months, depending on who you are referring to, of gross domestic product decline. So whilst that hasn't been announced officially yet, it will be, and I would say we're already there. Like, let's just be realistic about that. Is that scary? Sure. Is that the end of the world? Hell no. It absolutely is not. Now, the last time we had a recession, um, the economic situation was extremely different. And even the global financial crisis wasn't technically a recession. It was an economic downturn. There's a slight difference in, in the percentage rates and stuff like that. But let's talk about last time we went into proper actual recession, which was in the 90s, the recession we had to have. So nationwide property prices increased um, as interest rates came down. Brisbane, in fact, went up in value significantly and Melbourne actually went down in value reasonably. Now, what that indicated then is that it's not about the, it's not about the GDP. That's not the driver of property prices. And even in those kind of environments or in a recession-based environment, markets move independently. So just as then, it is the same now where you're going to have some markets going up and some markets going down. I've spoken to valuers in, in different parts of the country who have said, oh, it looks like property prices are declining here right now. And I have also ostensibly bought properties for our clients in very nearby where property prices and values, not just prices, values are significantly going up. And I think that this is something that people need to be very aware of, that it's not all doom and gloom and that this market is going to continue as ever to operate within a, in a malleable format with ups and downs. 
in the global financial crisis, the GFC, property prices went down and then they went back up. Why? Like what, what made them go down and go up? Because I can tell you it's not GDP. The thing that controls or has the greatest influence on property prices is interest rates and lending criteria, lending conditions. So what happens in the 90s is the property prices went up because interest rates went down. They were at 7.5%, then they came all the way down and people started buying more property. It was as simple as that. They had better access to money. And the same thing happened in the GFC. Interest rates came down, property prices went up. Property prices went down as the economy went down. Interest rates went down, property prices started skyrocketing. That's exactly what happened. So, and that's exactly what is happening right now. You know, good, bad, indifferent, for better, for worse, however you want to view it, that's exactly what's happening right now. The equities sector, so the stock market shares, that's a fire sale. That right now, it's like you can buy, you can buy companies at 60% off. It's unreal. It's like a Boxing Day sale on the stock market. So where is everyone turning? If we go back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, they're going back to what do people need most? Safety, security, shelter. And they're turning back to property. Now, that alone is not enough. But when you come, couple that with the fact that we have you know, record low interest rates and they're going to get cut even more, people are pushing into that sector. And I can say as a professional in, in the space, is in there day in, day out. Buyer activity is not slowing down. Demand is not slowing down. You know, even, even though a lot more people are staying home and they're concerned about COVID-19, I know sales agents that are doubling and tripling the amount of open homes that they've got because demand is so high. Now, what is the greatest driver of the value proposition in any asset class? Supply and demand. So let's talk about that. So we're going to welcome Luke to the conversation and then I want to, I want to talk about uh, property economics. Hey, man, how are you? Hello. Luke, welcome to the conversation and thanks for being one of our panellists. How are you today? Yeah, good, guys. How are you doing? Yeah, very well, thanks. Very well. So first, I'd like to welcome, to the, welcome you to the show. I know you've been uh, listening to the podcast and participating in the community for a while and and I'd like to um, get your perspective on how things are happening and what's going on at the moment and, and how you see things. And I know you're an avid investor and I'd, I'd love to get your perspective on the property situation as well. Look, I think just like, as you said previously, you know, it's temporary, right? It's not a long-term thing. This will be probably a temporary drop and I reckon we'll, we'll probably see the top end of the market probably double to what it was prior. So I think if we go down, for example, maybe 5% nationwide, not saying it's going to be, but as a theory, I reckon you'll probably see double-digit growth track probably the following year after that, in my opinion. Yeah, that's a really interesting perspective. And let's dig into a couple of that <clears throat> there. Um, so there's three specific points I want to tackle. Firstly, you said the top end of the market is going to double. Second, you said 5% drop. And third, you said double-digit growth in the coming years. What gives you those perspectives? And do you mind if I share mine first to stimulate a robust discussion? Go for it, man. Okay, firstly, so the statistically, uh, when people are looking at what they should and can invest in right now, statistically, the, the top end of the market, and if I'm reading what you said there correctly... I'm not quite, be, yeah. So I meant, I meant the top of the market. I didn't mean the like top the top line, as in, as, in, as, in the, as in the actual total value of the market. I actually misspoke. I meant like the market before news of the coronavirus is what got I it, Got it. You're talking about, okay, you're talking about market cap for in, on an industry basis as opposed to like... Correct. Correct. I fundamentally agree. I fundamentally agree that we're going to see that double over a very short period of time. A lot of people ask me, are property prices going to go down? And again, I, I kind of touched on it just a moment ago. Yeah. Yes, and, yes and no. In some areas, maybe, probably, possibly. Um, consumer sentiment is going to dictate that largely. Stimulus packages and stuff like that are going to dictate that largely. I wouldn't be surprised if we see in some areas, some areas, again, not all areas, we see property prices dip by 10%. I would caution to say that's probably only going to last for one quarter. I reckon I completely agree, mate. I reckon you're probably bang on. And I think you'll find that the rebound is going to be really, really impressive. There's definitely a lot of really, really good opportunity at the moment. Um, and as you said, there's a lot of areas that, well, not a lot of areas, but areas that will drop potentially up, up to 10%. And I think... Those are opportunities that we, as investors, need to be brave enough to jump on. 
I would say on one side, yes. And on one side, no to that. The areas that are most likely to drop by 10% are the ones that are top heavy in dollar value price. If we look backwards to the last time we had uh, property price downturn, which is only about a month ago, if we look at the places that dropped by the most, um, we're talking Sydney and Melbourne. And specifically, Mm. if you, obviously you can break up those marketplaces into many smaller markets, but if we look at them as a whole, the reason that those markets dropped by 10% or more, by dropped by significant amounts, was because of the weighting of those multi, multi, multi million dollar properties and how much they devalued. Because if you take a $10 million house and devalue it by 25%, and then you aggregate that as an average with the other properties that are, all, that are like $300,000, the weighting, uh, that, that, that imbalance is going to bring down the overall average. Does that make sense? Yeah, look, I, I actually do agree. I wouldn't at all be surprised if it, it is more widespread than you're thinking. Obviously, at the top end of the market, you know, and this time yeah. I actually mean top end, obviously that's the first place to drop. I mean, I could be wrong. We're speculating here. But I wouldn't be at all surprised if we do see kind of an overall nationwide drop. Not massive, but I wouldn't be at all surprised. And then I reckon, the re- as I was saying before, I think the rebound's going to come in really, really strong. I think people are going to come to their senses. Yep. And realize that, again, as you were saying before, money's so cheap these days. And I think, again, that's the opportunity that I was, that I was talking about. I think it's probably misrepresentative to steadfastly say property prices won't go down in any area. I think that there's a distinct possibility <coughs> that might happen. Um, <coughs> but I, I love your perspective on this, though, because a lot of people say, is now the time to invest or should we wait until it gets worse? You know, should, mm. we try, should we try and catch the downswing? And I would ask you, and I value your perspective and opinion, have you ever successfully, whether you've actually been investing and buying at a time or not, but I know you monitor the markets, have you ever successfully picked the bottom of a market? Mate, it's impossible. It's impossible, right? So I think more than ever, people need to take a longer-term view because as we've discussed now, we've said that, the greatest likelihood that if there is a downturn, it's only going to be a downturn for probably a quarter or, you know, not a very protracted amount of time. Uh, And the question that I would ask is, are we investing for a short term or are we investing for the long term? And if we're investing for the long term, which you should be, right? Well, again, you have to be in real estate. There's no real such thing as short-term investing. It it doesn't really fundamentally make sense, right? Like if you're buying a property, you're you're essentially buying a business in itself and you don't go short-term in in a business if you're buying a business, right? Like it has to be long-term and sustainable. Absolutely. And so let's just take an example. Let's just, let's just play through a scenario which may, I think, um, be an interesting mental uh, model for people to take into this kind of environment. Because a lot of people are kind of going, oh, should I wait? Should I wait for the property market to drop by 10% and then buy? Or should I buy now and just go with it, right? So let's just take this mental model. If yep. you would say buy a $500,000 house, right? And you bought it today. And then tomorrow, the property market went down by 10%. You with me? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm with you. With you. How much money have you lost? It's a that's a loaded question because <laughs> I mean it depends on what value you can add to that property. It depends on what it is. I mean, if you were to look at it, technically you'd be negative 50k equity, but it's a very loaded question. The reality is, if you if you invest, let's say with a 10 percent deposit, which <laughs> is simple maths, you've only technically lost on a uh, cash on cash basis. $5,000. Correct, correct. Yeah, correct. You know, 50K equity, 5% of cash on cash, however perspective you want to put at it. Let's kind of, kind of go into a different point, if you don't mind. Um, just kind of going back to like, if people are asking if they should buy or not. Hmm. And I really think the answer to that question is, are they ready? Have they found something that, again, they can add value to? And that's something that you guys do, obviously. You know, you guys find property for people that they can add value to. Hmm. And I think as long as you can add value to a property, it doesn't really matter so much when you buy, especially if it's a cash flow positive like property. I think timing the market is relatively unimportant. I think if the opportunity is there, take it. And um, yeah, as long as you can really add value, it's very difficult to lose in the long term. I think you've, you've nailed a really beautiful uh, perspective there. You really have. And that's basically the fundamental of what we do and how we do and why, how we do it and why we do it. Because it's exactly for times like this, because 
what you want in a property is you want it to go up in value with the market. You want to get solid capital growth. But what if that doesn't happen and should that stop you or hinder you in your journey? Well, no. And that's why it's so important to make sure you get cash flow positive properties and make sure that you have some lever that is suitable and appropriate to the level investor of investor that you are that you can manufacture that growth on your own terms to keep driving your portfolio, right? Correct. I mean, in my investing, I try not to speculate on the market so much. I just more focus on being able to add value immediately. And then that way, any kind of capital gains is more just cherry on top, I guess. If it's, if it's, if it's cash flowing and it's value adding like i'm not really too concerned about long-term growth obviously it's going to happen naturally and you want it it's, it's something you yeah. want i don't think it's i think it really comes third yeah i think that yeah that's an that's an interesting perspective and i think genuinely i think having capital growth as part of the, one of the three key pillars of your strategy is super important and i think to disregard that is to create a weaker strategy but i do like your perspective on resilience and not relying on that as the main fundamental driver and I think taking control and taking charge of your own destiny and making sure that you have that you're in the driver's seat of the outcomes you want is what's going to allow you and empower you to be a progressive investor no matter what economic environment you're in. And I congratulate you for having that perspective. Well, thanks, mate. But yeah, I mean, like primarily from my own investing, I, I, I'm a big splitter guy and that kind of stuff. Again, as long as I can get really a good profit margin out of that, then um, again, capital gains naturally very important I'm never never going to disregard it but i think in strategies like that it's more a matter of having the opportunity there is the more important part because it's not always like as you've seen even in like areas like bendigo for example it's harder than ever to find splitter properties in fact yeah like three months ago maybe with a good return right yeah. one question i'd like to ask you is in this environment if you had a property and it went down by 10 percent, how would you feel i wouldn't be stressed Obviously, it's, it delays where you want to be and it's obviously not ideal, but it's not something to stress about. If you've bought a f property that has strong fundamentals, something that just is based on your purpose, based on what goal you have, what you're trying to achieve, it's yeah. a short-term blip. It's a short-term uh, stall, essentially. 100%. And yeah. that is, that's such a good perspective to have. And thanks for bringing that to the table because it's one that I share. If your property price, if you've bought well and you've bought in line with your strategy and you know where you want to go and the vehicles that are going to take you to that destination and you can analyze the deal and understand the upside, the downside, the sideways risk, the upside risk, the inside out risk and all of that kind of stuff and still see that it's going to take you to where you want to go, a 10% uh, deviation over a three, even maybe a six-month period is not going to impact your 5, 10, 15, 20 year wealth goals, right? Agreed. I mean, it might, I mean, it will obviously have a delay of some degree, but like naturally markets have peaks and troughs and you're naturally going to have a year's delay. It's not the end of the world. Like again, if you're buying properties with purpose in line with where you're going in life and your goals, it's, such a small issue it's something that you shouldn't be fixated on it's something that just comes with the territory yeah 100 percent. and you know what i think i think there's been a great part to bring into the discussion because what i mentioned a moment ago is one of the key questions is people are asking is what types of assets should we be investing in mm. in this kind of environment and you've kind of really nailed it you really hit it on the head from your own perspective and it's really in line with what we help people do as well and it's typically affordable properties so not the most expensive properties in the market. So we're typically talking $250,000 to $550,000 price point is a pretty good range. Cash flow positive and must have a way to add value so you can control asset outcomes in your own terms. And I think that's really the fundamentals of having a resilient portfolio that's going to not only survive but thrive in times like this. Yeah, I completely agree. And look, I, I love what you guys do. I just thought I would just give you guys a shout out. I think what you guys are doing is really, really impressive. And um, look, I really love the love and support that you guys really put out. And it's, um, I was having a bit of a stressful day. And even like coming to a community like this, 
is really, really good. I've been having some issues getting a finance for a property and anyways, long story. I'm sure you guys know what it's like. And even just having this this kind of community, that's why I'm so active here. It's because like I, I really love the energy you guys put out and um yeah, I just thought I'll put forth some some gratitude, mate. I, I really, really appreciate it for what you and Gabby do. I really, really appreciate it. Thanks, man. Thank really, really appreciate the support and uh and mate, we'll keep, you know, building this community if you keep participating. That's what we do it for. So thanks. <laughs> <laughs> All right, nice one. Well, we'll move on, Luke, but thanks so Thank much for you, participating in the, in the conversation. We look forward to having you on again in the future. My pleasure, mate, and thanks for um, having me on. Okay, so we've only got a few minutes left. It's been a pretty, it's been a nice and, and long episode, and I think it's been a really great format, one that I'd really like to um, continue to explore. There's still quite a lot to unpack and i think if we're realistic as the current market conditions and uh you know situation within our community continues to unfold it's probably going to be beneficial to have another uh conversation like this in the future um as we said you know it could be a completely different environment tomorrow and there could be a whole nother hour and a half of things (laughs) to talk about tomorrow indeed indeed I think um, what we might do, there was a lot of other stuff that I really wanted to touch on in terms of um, property economics, but I feel like we might have touched on some of that stuff in a couple of previous episodes. So what we might do is move towards wrapping this episode up. I think we've covered a lot of ground. What have your favourite bits been out of this episode so far, this, this discussion, this panel? I do see this as an opportunity to just take stock of what is important and to take responsibility for how you do behave. I think Casper touched on a good point about how we all feel like good people, but now is the time to kind of behave as a good person. And that includes good investors. You know, you can have, it's all well and good to have your portfolio plans and have this roadmap of how you're going to invest. And you can on paper understand that, you know, the market goes up and down and you have to ride that out. But like what we're going through right now is, is, a, is a piece that, you know, has to be written out. And it's, it's about if you've got that long-term plan, you just stick with it and not panic and sell or panic and buy or just, just, just panicking Don't in panic. general. Just don't panic. Don't <laughs> panic. Everything's going to be okay. Everything is okay. Yeah. I think particularly if you haven't been through this kind of, recession or this kind of pandemic before and it is an emotional time so it is it it is easy for people to get overwhelmed and to panic and to make decisions based in that panic state but i think it's more important now than ever to review your plans if you feel like you are you know questioning your plan it's probably that you don't have a very solid plan so it's a good time to while you're stuck inside reach out reach out and connect with people who will be able to help you we love this community so much and we're so, we're so stoked to be able to connect with you guys. But connect with each other. People are posting their stories and their, their questions all the time. Now's a perfect opportunity to connect with someone who you might be interested in to hear their story or, or they might have a perspective that you haven't had access to before. We're always here. <laughs> always here to talk about whatever you want you can t- we can talk about property we can talk about economics in general we can talk about mindset we can talk books. about books we can sit and read a book to you if that's what you would like <laughs> i know it's an emotional time as i keep saying but there is there is opportunity through this and i think we need to just be able to seize it when we can yeah so 100 100 percent. so there's like a one last question that i want to grab and i want to just wind that into a little wrap up on my side Cheyenne has asked, if the property is going to cost you money, is that going to delay your growth? And I think that there's kind of a couple of parts you need to unpack in that question, Cheyenne. So cost you money, if you mean from a cash flow basis, that's going to really depend on your capacity to manage that cash flow. And that's going to be dependent, again, on your loan structures and the perspectives and everything like that. If you have an unsupportable asset that is going to put you and your family at risk, for example, if you were unable to support it. If your personal economic situation changed, then you know that's probably something you should really reconsider in this kind of environment, which is why typically what we want to help people buy, and, and we're actually having that discussion with you guys at the moment, is about buying something that is typically going to be over 5% yield, which in this kind of environment is going to be well supporting itself 
pretty much regardless of what your loan structure is going to be and is going to be a good growth asset. And I think where the consideration needs to come from is if there is a property market dip of five or even 10% over the, over the short term, is that going to have any meaningful impact over the long term? The reality is that it's, it's, not, it's not going to be a linear. It won't go down 10% and then go up 10% and then, and then move on. It'll be go down percent, 10% and then go up 20%. You know, and I think that that's the perspective that people need to take. For every every single time there is a downturn, there is a very steep and actually exponentially steeper than than the downturn. You have an exponentially steeper upturn. That's really the value proposition that people need to take on board, and why that makes sense. Actually, if you have the capacity right now to invest, then I would say stick to your plan and invest. You know, if you have the capacity to move forward right now. It's an amazing time to get into the market. There are so many powerful fundamental drivers that are going to see property prices accelerate, expand and explode over the coming four and five years that this really is, if it's in your plan and you have the capacity to do it, none of what is going on right now in the world should stand in your way of doing that is my perspective. And look, I think just to, just to wrap it up, if you are considering investing and, and you do want to uh, explore doing that, we're here to support you in that environment and we're here to help you navigate that in a low risk and high result way. We always want to make sure that we're taking care of people and, and guiding you in the right process, making sure that you are ready to do that and it is going to robustly be the right decision for you. And if that's the case, then please reach out. You can either you know jump on www.dashdot.com.au and reaches there or reaches online there's so many ways that you can get in touch feel free to reach out outside of that if you're going to be inside for a while it's probably a good idea to get uh, to get a copy of our book limitless the renegades guide to building wealth through property so you can get that at the moment from renegadespropertybook.com and lastly very soon we are going to be building an online community outside of facebook and if you'd like to participate in that and if you'd like to join a community of investors and entrepreneurs who are building wealth and be participants in trainings and access to special tools and stuff, stay tuned and let us know because we're going to be opening access to that pretty soon. So we'd love to have you there. It's been an amazing discussion and thanks so much for everyone for participating. And of course, if you like this episode and you're listening to this on a podcast, please make sure you subscribe um, and you share this with other people that you think this might be relevant to as well. We are passionate about helping people to grow and succeed, not just in property, but in life. And if you know other people who could benefit from that perspective, or you think may have an interest in what we do and and we would resonate with them, then we would really appreciate and deeply appreciate you connecting us with them and hopefully benefiting their lives in some way. Thanks. Thank you, guys. Cheers, guys. Have an amazing night. And remember, stay positive, stay powerful, stay healthy. We'll see you after.